Today's episode features a professional basketball player. She has learned how to adapt throughout the duration of her career, which you're going to hear today on the episode. She's phenomenal. On her social media pages, she's out there educating the young athletes on what they need to be doing, teaching them what she wishes she would have known when she was younger. And we're going to learn about her, her career, as well as her amazing book. You do not want to miss this so that you can find out more about it here on the Game Time Guru. So, what time is it? Game Time This is the Game Time Guru Podcast where I interview sports figures from all over the world to help deliver a panoramic view on sports. So whether you're a former athlete, one of the crazies, or simply a casual sports fan, this is the perfect show for you as we peel back the curtains and learn from our guests every single week. I'm your host, Shane Larson, and I'm helping you see sports through a different lens. What's up, everybody? Welcome to another episode of the Game Time Guru Podcast. I am your host, Shane Larson. Excited to be here with everybody today. Super exciting interview for me. Um, I, I, this is one of the things that I've been wanting to do is get you know more female athletes on the show, uh, people who understand the athletic world from the female side of things. And, and, I, and I really want somebody who has that perspective. And today, I get to bring on an amazing guest. And before we get started with our interview, I just want to say thank you to all of our listeners, all the supporters for the last five years who have been here with me. If this is your first time listening, first time introduced to the show, that's awesome. Welcome aboard. Uh, But for anybody who's ever supported the show, we're now in 92 different countries, 70,000 plus downloads, and it's thanks in large part to everybody who has supported. So if you haven't done so already, I'd encourage everybody who's listening to subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts and uh, make sure to leave a review so it gets out to more people. But now we're going to get into the interview part, and I'm excited to introduce Rebecca Harris, and we're going to be talking to her about her career and getting to know her a little bit more and what she's doing now and uh, how she's influencing the game still. So, Rebecca, thanks so much for joining us. Hey, thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. You know, so I'm excited. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. So here's a funny story. I'm going through a TikTok, you know, stream. This is what I do. I like to look at the content creators on TikTok. And Rebecca, which was funny, I reached out to you on Instagram, but I realized I was like, oh, I've been watching her on TikTok. I had found you on TikTok. You're like an influencer, you know, like you come across on my For You page and I'm like, okay, this is awesome. So what I liked was the fact that like you're out there giving advice to younger hoopers, uh, the advice that they need to hear, like stuff that they need to know, stuff that I don't think a lot of people realize or even athletes even realize when they're that age, they need to know. And you're out there doing that. So talk to me a little bit about that and what kind of, uh, I guess influenced you to, you know, educate these younger these younger athletes. Man, it, it's crazy that you worded it that way because I, I really pride myself on just trying to be the person that I wish I had during that time frame in my life because I've been, you know, the athlete um, in middle school knowing that I wanted to play at a high level. I've been the athlete in high school navigating that space of being a freshman. Um, starting varsity and figuring out what's what and how to approach this, how to speak to my coach, like, because you're so nervous as a young player. And if you're playing varsity, it's like, you know, uh, I don't know what to do. I don't want to step on anybody's toes. And then also, like, I played junior college and I transferred and played division one. And then I've played professionally for quite a bit, but I've also coached at the high school and college level. So there's just so many pieces and different point of views that I have. And I'm like, you know, all of this information would help somebody if, if they knew it earlier, right? Like 
if I can help someone avoid going through this trial and error period of time, um, then why not do that? And I found myself like for years, I've been answering questions from young student athletes, former student athletes, parents, all of this. And I, you know, I realized you know, I answer these questions all the time. Why not? Let's just make videos about just things that pop up on a regular basis from my end. And then I just make a video and I know it'll help somebody along the way. I think what you're doing is fantastic. I love that you're doing that because not everybody does that. It, it, I love right. that you're doing what you wanted, if you, what you would have wanted when you were that age, like what you would have liked to have known. And I would encourage people to follow you. Can you shout out your, your Instagram and TikTok handles for those who can follow you? Absolutely. So if you guys are following me on TikTok, uh, my handle is at BeckHarris30. And then on Instagram and Twitter, and I think almost anything else, it's at Rebecca30H. Okay. Okay. I will put that here in the description for you guys as well so you can see that. Um, I would encourage everybody to go follow you. Like, that's what I'm saying. It's, uh, that's where I first was like, wow, okay. I like what she's doing. I like her energy. I like how she's educating. And that's super important. Now, for me, you know, at 33 years of age, obviously my playing days are over, but I still coach. I coach at the club level. I coach, you know, the 17 year old kids and, and I enjoy it. Uh, a lot of the things that you say are things that I've regurgitated, but like tried to, you know, put my own spin on it, you know, and saying, Hey, right. like this is some stuff from somebody who knows what they're talking about. So it is super helpful. And I just want to let you know, from a coach's perspective, it is super helpful. Um, and, and I really appreciate that. So keep doing what you're doing. Go follow her on her Instagram and TikTok and Twitter and all the handles. We'll make sure we put them here in the description for you. But uh, now let's let's rewind the clock, Rebecca, and get to know you a little bit better as an athlete, okay? I want to know when you first picked up a basketball and kind of what drew you to the sport. Did you have it in the, in the family, or was this more so like something that you just picked up? So, I, look, I feel like for every, every time I get this question, there's just this story. I was three years old. Um, we were at a family – it was like a, a gathering. Mind you, I'm a military brat, so we were overseas. I was okay. living in the – Philippines at this time and we were just over somebody's house barbecue everybody's outdoors and there were some older kids playing on a little hoop maybe like those Oshkosh little little hoops out there tight toys whatever and um, I was just watching and then as soon as they left and they left a ball there I went and I picked it up and I started shooting and I was just having a good time and then like the ball got away from me and it was bouncing and rolling towards the street. Um, an older kid, he might've been seven, like ran after it to go get it. And he was bringing it back to me. I didn't realize he was bringing it back to me. I thought he was like going to steal it. And <laughs> I think I hauled off and I punched him and told him like to give me the ball back. And my dad was watching um, in the distance and just started rolling on the floor laughing. Cause he was like, I guess she likes this game. And it was really from that point on, I never really put the ball down. I have an older brother who's about, who's three years older than me. And the age to play sports on a team is five. And okay. like, so I had to wait and wait it out. And I'm watching him play and I'm like itching to go. And I'm constantly telling my parents, I want to play. I want to play on this team. And they're like, you got to wait. You got to wait till you're five. Um, but, you know, that didn't stop me from picking up a ball any chance I could get. Um, there was a little park with a hoop in the back of my house living in the Philippines and um, anytime like construction workers were on a lunchtime break they would be out there playing and you know no offense to 
um, anybody, but these were short men. And um, I didn't think much of it, but I'm literally going out there and like, I want to play grown men. I'm a three-year-old, four-year-old at this time. I want to play. And I appreciate them for being like, okay, here, just come on here, shoot the ball. I'm granny style and I'm shooting and I'm playing with them like it's nothing. And from that experience on, like, it didn't matter to me growing up, man, you could be six feet, seven feet tall, all of these things. It did not matter. If you were playing, I was playing. And mostly these were men and boys playing. So that's how I grew up, uh, playing with grown men for a long time. Wow. That's actually, I got a couple things I want to unpack with that then as well that, that kind of just stemmed from the explanation there Gr- uh, growing up with with these with the men so to speak that are that are playing how did that um i guess help you was it t- like i guess did it feel like there was a transition when you're you know you're going in to play with the rest of the females after you're used to playing with these grown men that are probably like bigger in stature just naturally you know physically bigger uh did that change the way that you played when you you know started playing with females like throughout the rest of your career um I was like so against it for a long time oh really and and that was because so growing up overseas like there wasn't a a girl's team and a boy's team they were integrated co-ed for the longest time and my parents uh my parents made it their mission to make sure that I was in the states by the time I was about to hit high school so I got here like near the end of seventh grade and that was the first time that I had really been on a team that was like, hey, automatically all girls. Um, and I was like, what is this? Why? why? Why is this the case? Because I was also like leaps and bounds better than most of the girls on my team. And so at first it wasn't fun. But not only that, I was introduced to so many new things moving to America of being new. Um, now I'm in a school where we're almost a high school and now you're dealing with some other things of like mean girls and stuff like this. And I'm like, I don't want to be around these girls, but I saw a significant difference immediately. Um, you know, where I'm being invited everywhere to play with the guys and they're like, Hey, this is a new girl, but she can hoop. And, and that was always my introduction, um, to meeting new people. Anytime we like moved was, I didn't have to say anything if I saw people hooping, uh, can I play? And I let my, you know, game speak for itself. Um, but it was certainly a difference. Um, and it was a hot topic for a little while of like, here's this new girl and she plays so much different than everyone else. Um, you know, and what, what will her path be? Because, you know, I just look different and I appreciate that. It worked well for me. Um, and I, I still hoop with a lot of the guys that I first started hooping with, the adult guys, when I first moved to the States, um, I think I give them a shout out in my new book. And um, so, yeah, that, look, they need to read it and, and get one before I tell them all who's in it. But yeah. All right. I like that. And, and we're going to talk about this book here in just a second, too. I And you also just answered one of my other questions in the middle of that response, by the way. I was going to ask when you actually came over to the States. Um, so that kind of just went through that. I'm just trying to put myself in your position and yeah, like your the additional pressures of being in high school for that matter, junior high, high school going along with it. But I do like the fact that you mentioned how sports kind of, that was kind of like your, your starting point with conversations. I mean, like sports can do that. That can, that can be a, an entry point for conversations and finding new friends and, and being able yeah. to, you know, communicate with others. I think that's cool. But yeah, there's probably a transition period there trying to get used to that style of basketball. 
when you're used to something else growing up so long. Um, now here's where I, I want to know. So with the military, did you have to move through high school or did you get to stay in one high school for the duration of your career there? So I got to stay at one high school. It was pretty much by design with my, my parents. Um, I had lived in about three or four different countries before I had moved to uh, Southern Illinois near St. Louis. And, um, you know, they made it a point to make sure that we would be in the state at this time and to make sure that I would be in one spot. You know, my dad shortly, uh, he retired shortly after that. So he had made sure to try and get things in line at the right time. I like that. Cool. That's awesome. That's awesome that they did that for you guys too. I, I just try to always think about that. I always feel for, for kids, especially in athletics, they like end up moving, you know, parents get a different job or whatever it may be. And they move. That's hard. That's hard on kids. So you're there, <laughs> you're there and you're, you're transitioning into this style of ball and, and, and you're doing your thing. But I want to, I want to ask you this, Rebecca, what you learned overseas when you were a youngster and then you brought it over here, what were some of the leadership traits that you were able to, that you acquired, that you were able to essentially just display when you got here? And how were you able to lead with those skill sets you acquired overseas with your experience? I think if anything, um, before I got to high school or before I got to America, for that matter, it was just leading by example. Um, you know, I played hard. I worked hard. There was not one opportunity to play that I, you know, didn't take. Um, I took them all and, you know, within taking them all, but I mean, that's some growing pains in itself because most females do not do that. Like how many females can you think of, you know, from high school, middle school, that is just ready to play at the drop of a dime. Yeah. You know? Not many. That's just right. real. Not many. So, you know, so that came with a lot of different things. One girl's looking at me like I'm weird in the odd man out, which I am. And that's fine. Also, it's fine simply because I had a different level of focus. Like I was not concerned with what they were concerned with, you know. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I just led by example and people took notice. But I learned different styles of leadership more so when I came to the States. Um, it was it was a different ball game. And now as I'm getting older and becoming a teenager, and especially like when you are a freshman starting to play varsity, like you're learning different leadership levels, um, you know, looking at the senior who is the one calling the play and, and, you know, speaking life into me as a young freshman that is like wondering, like, um, you know, how long are we going to do this for? What's, what's this for? Because I didn't even learn how to play so much with structure and like running plays necessarily until I got to the States, because I was just someone that was, naturally gifted talented and could just poop you know i'm like what are we slowing things down for to call a play and and because i played that way um and shout out to my coach coach moeller and Mascuda, he like changed everything they did because it was either change the way they did things or really try to make me be someone that i wasn't however i was naturally elevating the play of my high school they were so used to stop run a play, wait till the big gets down there, post up. And like, I feel like I'm losing my mind just talking about that, that <laughs> sequence where I, the, the baby, the freshman, I get it. I'm gone. Like I'm on a fast break automatically. What am I waiting for? You know? So we changed the game and, um, you know, from then on, actually the rest of the conference started to do transition play. But I think our team was the first to really start that. 
Look at that. You you were the the major shift, the identity shift, if you will, for that <laughs> conference, your team and the conference. And shout out to the coach. I want to say that too. Like you just gave a shout out to your coach. The coaches that can realize that, um, they're few and far between. That's why we have like some coaches are elevated over others, in my opinion. We all know that if we played sports, like some are able to adjust around their best players, their best talents. They can adjust around that rather than being so structured and, and trying to make the players fit the system. They let the system fit the players. Like they shifted around. sounds like that your coach was able to do that. And uh, that's actually super important. I wanted to ask you about coaching um, and what you feel in your career, whether it be through, you know, middle school, high school, and even in the professional level, you know, college in the professional level, what was like the best advice you ever got from a coach or the best life lesson you received from a coach when you were playing, not necessarily coaching, but when you were playing under somebody, um, what was the best advice or the best life lesson you learned from someone? Man, I've, you know, I've had so many at yeah, this I'm point, sure. <laughs> you know, with, with just like things you look back on and been like, yeah, yeah I understand now that was very helpful. Um, but if anything, it was, it was as simple as a coach telling me to just play my game um you know when you when you elevate you go to a new level you play with a different coach sometimes you might get a bit of anxiety of like trying to figure out what's next or how can I play for this coach like you're trying to read them you might even have like a real conversation with them but certain things around you just doesn't make you sure of are you doing the right thing is this what they really want for me but when I had you know, and, and several different coaches, well, thank you all of them, um, have pulled me aside at certain points to be like, look, just play your game, you know, and not worry about these other things. And someone like me, I appreciate that. Um, because that allows me to know that I have one room to make mistakes. But two, like, I don't even have to worry about that. Um, I feel like they're confident enough in me, which obviously builds your own personal confidence to know that, if I do make a mistake, don't worry. I know that you're going to make up for it 10 times over with your defense, with an offensive play, with getting somebody the ball, whatever the case may be. So, you know, that uh, goes a long way. Those type of just small conversations go a long way between a, a coach and a player. But not only that, like I'm a, a point guard, so I need to hear certain things where, you know, a coach is telling me just play my game and letting me know that it's okay to lead in the way that I do um, because they have a certain level of trust with me. I love that. I love that. And it's good for me to know as well as I try to grow my, my coaching career, just understand like instill the trust in your players and uh, yeah. make sure that they know that sometimes too. I, I, I just always have loved it. Whether you're a boss at a corporation or you're a coach of, of a team, I think it's always important if like, if the players have the trust in you too, and they, they just have that, they feel like it's a personal connection, not just a business transaction every single time you talk. I think that's huge too. And I think that's what kind of falls into what you're saying as well. Just like being able to let you, let you know, okay, they understand who you are. They know who you are. Um, now I got a question now uh, that I've been thinking about, like I come up with all these questions when I'm about to interview a guest. And for you, I, I think you can give a lot of insight to some, some athletes, especially ones that I'm around here in Idaho. So in okay. Idaho, we've got stellar athletes. Uh, the problem is like a lot of States in the country, they don't get a lot of exposure. And so, we're, mm -hmm. you know, we're trying to do a little bit more about, you know, getting them out there, but they, a lot of them go the junior college route, especially in basketball. It goes junior college first. And then they, you know, go out. We don't get a lot of guys with D one offers coming out of Idaho. That's just the reality of it. But with that being said, their attitudes, Rebecca tend to be like, 
I don't know. I just think across the board, I'm not going to say everyone, but I mean, it is a lot of them I've seen and I've heard. They're frustrated with it. They're like, oh, I'm going to go junior college and then I'm just going to dominate there and then I'm going to head out to a D1. From someone who's been able to do that, I, I want to know some some advice that you would give to those guys because what I have seen is those people that have those attitudes, they typically go to the JUCO level thinking they're just going to dominate. They realize, no, the junior college level has some amazing athletes as well. They end up not being able to adapt quickly enough. They got two years. They don't prove themselves, and then they have no yeah. offers. And I see a lot of them just drop off after that. So someone who's been there like yourself, if you could give some advice to some athletes going into the junior college level, how to take advantage of the junior college route, like how to what to do, what to expect, um, so that they know how to you know truly take advantage of those few years that they have. So yeah, this is this is a topic I think I cover quite often. Um, first and foremost, there's a difference between being like confident in your abilities, but then also just being I don't know what's the word I want to say. Um, I don't know, just thinking that you know everything about a situation that you have never been a part of, right? So like anytime I hear someone say, oh, I'm just gonna go to junior college as if it is something that is easy and that everyone does, because that is not the case. Because if it were so easy, how come no one is coming to you, right? So there's that, um, uh, which leads me to, Another thing that I always tell young people that want to make it to the next level, stop waiting for everyone to come to you, right? So if you are serious about wanting to take that next step and, and that big leap into playing college sports, if you are specifically junior seniors right now, how much networking are you doing on your own, right? Like, and then if you feel like you aren't doing any, ask yourself why, um, because why would you leave a dream that you have of playing at the next level up to everyone else? Well, somebody's going to call like you, to me, you don't want it bad enough, right? So if you were taking care of everything that you need to take care of on the court, off the court, in the classroom, all of these things, and you have all of your stuff lined up, it is perfectly fine to reach out to coaches, Idaho, especially you've got a lot of junior colleges or, or lower level divisions within an area. I'd say reach out to colleges, uh, their coaches within two hours and say, hey, coach, hey, I'd really love to play for you someday. Here is some game film. Here's my transcript. I play for this school. I play this position. You know, here's our, our schedule. Please, if you have the opportunity, come check me out. If not, uh, send me some information of when you might have an open gym. I'd love to come down and, and show you what I have. Like, be proactive in the things that you want. Now, whenever you get some responses back, because sometimes you don't, sometimes coaches are busy, but not only that, they may have looked at your information. Their roster could be full. They may have sent your information to another coach. I've done that plenty of times. I may not have time to respond, but I might look real quick and send it to a coach in my same league, a coaching friend in a different state. And I might be like, hey, Joe, check this out. Um, there's a girl in the Las Vegas area. Uh, her school isn't very big, but she's got some game. Check out her her film. Let me know what you think. Or, hey, if you got room in your roster, there you go. And, like, this happens all the time. So you don't know what's happening on the back end. But if you are doing your due diligence and setting yourself up to be successful by putting your stuff out there, I tell kids all the time, too, you're on TikTok, you're on Instagram, but we go to your page and there's nothing of relevance to 
you know, you trying to play the next level. Use your social media to your advantage. And you don't have to, you know, post everything about this, but post a few workouts, post some game highlights. This is your walking billboard to give you an opportunity. If you really want it, allow people to see it because the, the right hashtag at the right time, you tag a coach, you send it to somebody, they see it. I mean, let, God forbid you go viral off of something, people are going to look. And all you are looking for is an opportunity in the door. And so networking gets you that. Posting your stuff gets you some eyes on you. And if you make it to the next level, even if it's junior college, still do the work. But understand, you're not the only one playing at junior college trying to make it to the next level. There's a reason that people say, uh, if you make it out of junior college, you made it out the mud. You got it out the mud <laughs> because it is difficult. There are a lot of dogs out there. there. There are a lot of people that want that next level and they are willing to fight for it. You got a lot of people who who go to a junior college that could have a full roster and they're willing to walk on because it's the only opportunity that they had and it was close to their house. Or, you know, they're willing to be a manager for a season just to, you know, be around uh, a college team and get to take notes and be part of it and then work their way in there. Like there's so many people that are, are willing to navigate certain spaces in order to have an opportunity. So, you know, how bad do you want it? So you got to go to junior college thinking that everyone else is just as hungry as you are. So put in the extra hours, put in the work, but also continue networking and talking to coaches at the next level so that they know you are there and hopefully you get another opportunity to make it beyond that level because it's not easy. I am so glad you said that. And, and, and all of that is super important. So for all the athletes that are listening to this right now, rewind that and take more notes if you didn't catch them all right now because and there's resources that's the one thing i wanted to touch base on as well because to your point rebecca there are so many resources out there nowadays if you think that there's not like you got your social media those are typically free but there's also like for example i talked to a guy who runs this company called trophy case you can make yourself a digital trading card which is basically your own little profile for sports and on the it's a link that you can send people to for sports specifically, you can have your highlights linked on there and everything. It's called trophy case. It's awesome. Like these are cool little things that people are creating nowadays to help you with your exposure, but you got to be able to utilize it. Um, what I notice is so many athletes, especially where I'm at, they think that they're good enough and they're just going to be seen. They're too quiet. And unfortunately, mm. the reality is unless you are leaps and bounds above yeah. everybody else in the state in which you play, which is probably not going to happen you're not going to be seen. And even if you are leaps and bounds, like literally we've had like one division one offer in the last two years, maybe two or three. Um, and that's it out of all the, the hoopers here in Idaho. And there's some good ones. So I want everyone to understand that, like do exactly what Rebecca just said, network. You got to get out there, get out of your comfort zone. If that, if that means that you're not, you're like, Oh, I'm scared to talk to coaches. Well, you better get used to that. Like That's what you got to get used to for the next level. So I appreciate all the insight there. As you went through the, the, the junior college to the, to the D one level, Talk to me about the transition in that level as far as like from your skill set to like, was there a difference in speed of the game? Was there a difference in the, like the college life itself, like being, uh, uh, sorry, a, a student as well? Um, everything was a transition. Um, and I tried, I tried hard to prepare myself for it, but I mean, you don't know until you know. Right. Um, the biggest thing that I did for myself uh, to prepare was actually within the classroom. So going to a junior college, classes are usually smaller. 
you might have 20 to a classroom and, and a professor and you know they've got they've got uh classroom hours where they're just sitting in an office office hours where you can just hey you know mr smith i'd love to speak to you about this assignment um can we have some one-on-one -on -one time and it's much easier to navigate that uh when i was at the junior college level i took advantage of all of that um we had study hall hours it didn't matter i was making sure that i got like 30 hours in a week um because i was making sure for me i knew i was going to the next level i was confident and i was going to do everything i could to make sure i got there and when it comes to junior colleges unfortunately there's a stereotype that is associated with it as if grades are a problem for everybody at the junior college level and i wanted to make sure like that stigma that tag did not stay stuck to me in any capacity and luckily like whenever i was going on some visits with some other schools um that was the thing that they kept bringing up like oh well thank god we don't have to deal with that this is great your grades are on point we're going to do this and i was like okay phew we're good there um and it was i also had developed such great habits as a college student that when I got to, I went from Renly College and when I got to the University of Illinois, like it was such a smooth transition for me there with, with my class load and making sure I knew how to navigate my study hall and making sure I got it done by any means necessary. And there were times where, sure, I almost got tripped up. Like it's a, it's a big change from going from a junior college and you ride in a small bus for three, four hours to a game same day sometimes, turn back around, you you get home by midnight, your first class could be 8 a.m., okay, and you make sure you're ready, versus, hey, I'm, I'm in Wisconsin for a game, uh, after the game, we're supposed to fly home, you get snowed in at the private airport, um, we're sitting in the airport for three, four hours, I have an exam the next day, there's no snow in Illinois, but we cannot get out of Wisconsin yet, Finally, when we get out of Wisconsin at 6 a.m., I have an exam at 8 a.m., we land 7.30, I'm hauling my butt to class, you know, but I was prepared because I'm looking at it like, let me take advantage of the time we're stuck in the airport, I'm going to study, I know I have an exam, I have things to do, um, and I'm tweaking my mind to be like, okay, we, this is the circumstances, we're going to deal with it, while, you know, some of my other teammates who no knock on them, but I was the only junior college transfer. Oh, wow. They they don't know what it's like to go from, you know, uh, humble beginnings to the big stage. And they're just looking like, oh, I'll figure out what to do or I'll, you know, and I'm like, no, I don't have any other option. We're going to get this done. Um, but like, you have to do the best you can to prepare yourself. But I would also say, reach out. This is another part of networking. If you know anyone, who has ever transferred from a junior college to division one, try and find them, pick their brain, you know, uh, ask them as many questions as you can about that transition. But also if you know where you are going to go ahead of time with enough time to kind of maneuver some things, make sure that you have all the resources you might need in place. Like I need to know where the study hall room, who, who is my first point of contact if I need some guidance here um making sure you know where all your classes are because that that campus life for a big university is something much different going from like three buildings for junior college to 80 200 buildings you know 50 of them you will never need to know what's in there 
it's a very different ball game. <laughs> oh man. Some people will never understand it until they get there, but being on a campus, like even at Boise state university, which is where I graduated is like, you go to, you got one class over here that ends and you're like, Oh, I got 15 minutes for my next class. Well, you're 15 minutes. You better be sprinting Woo! because it's on the yeah. opposite side of the entire thing. Like that's crazy. It's it's, they don't understand. Can't even imagine. So Rebecca, as, as you got through, your college career with Illinois, which is, by the way, like that's awesome that you were playing in Illinois. I just, I geek out about this stuff. I'm a Buckeyes fan. They call me the Boise mm. Buckeye here. Uh, so I love like bigger schools. I love to talk about bigger schools because I mean, I was born and raised here with Boise State. Love them. I'm a Boise State alum, but I'm also a huge Buckeyes fan. So I love the big schools. I, I, I like to talk about them. And I just think it's cool that you had that opportunity because, like you said, that you've got like luxuries there. A lot of these universities have some great facilities, some great, uh, great access to a lot of cool things. Um, but at what point did you decide you were like you knew you were going to play at the professional level? And when you decided that, the question I have is the professional level for women, um, it's a little bit different of a discussion than it is for men. And that's yeah. what I want to get into because men, it's like they they look down upon going overseas. Whereas mm -hmm. sometimes for women, it's it's almost a better option, or it was at one point. I think the WNBA starting to to get a little bit better here in the States, but overseas was almost like a better option at, at one point. So I just want to get your, you just pick your brain a little bit about your professional career and kind of the decisions that were made there. So um, with, with each level that I had entered uh, of playing basketball, you know, I grew more and more confident. I was like, okay, we can, we can keep this going, you know, just continue the work ethic, put in, put in the time and effort and still continue to make connections and let's, let's go. Um, I also knew that, growing up any professional women's basketball players that I had any idea about I knew that they were at the division one level first like it was rarer than uh for it, much rarer then than it is now but even still now it's, it's still on the rare side for someone that is not from the division one caliber so to speak I'm using air quotes um to play professionally and play overseas and certainly play in the WNBA. I don't know, off the top of my head, I don't know if there's one or two that didn't play division one that is in the WNBA. But anyways, I for sure made my decision on, hey, I'm, I wanna play professionally. When I was a senior at U of I in the middle of our Big 10 tournament, Big 10 conference tournament, um, I had led my team on this crazy run. We were the ninth seed and we made it all the way to the championship game. We actually lost by a buzzer beater to Purdue. I feel some type of way. Um, <laughs> yes, yes. But like, but like we had beat, you know, all the teams that they thought we were supposed to lose to. We beat Ohio State. Um, you know, we beat Michigan State. We beat Wisconsin. And then in the championship, uh, we beat, I mean, we lost to Purdue by a buzzer beater. But within that, like my stock had rose. Um, where, you know, my team, we're, we're getting all the way to the conference championship. You know, people are noticing me a bit more um, because during the regular season, I think I was averaging maybe 10 points, you know, five assists, something simple. But then in the Big Ten tournament alone, like I went to 17, 18 points, um, seven assists and, and steals and whatnot. So my stock rose and I had a conversation with my coaches like, hey, after this, I want to continue playing. Um, during my senior year, we had our, it was a new coach, Coach Law, and she had just came from being the assistant at Rutgers right when they had um, played Tennessee, University of Tennessee in the championship game, NCAA championship game. So I knew that she knew people 
and I knew that, um, you know, she had some WNBA players under her belt. So I let it be known, like, hey, whatever happened, I want to continue playing after this. And so everyone on the coaching staff um, put the word out, you know, and, and got a hold of agents and just, you know, their network of people. And from there, I, I was given my opportunity at the end of that year um, to play overseas. And yeah, on the women's side, playing overseas is, it's big, right? Like it was until this past year and a half, right. um, it, it has been much bigger than playing in WNBA. And that is due to like the money, certain resources and things of that nature. And a lot of other countries have a different level of appreciation for their women's basketball. Um, I know there are some countries that love their women's basketball more than they love their men's basketball. And, you know, that's a blessing uh, because that is a fight that we fight all the time as, as female athletes, just wanting to be recognized and respected for our craft, you know, of, of being professionals. We put in a lot of hard work and the season for a professional female basketball player is pretty much all year round. Like you go from August to April of playing overseas and then literally within a week of April, like being home, it, it is the summer season. And I say the summer season because that's the WNBA, but also there are some other leagues uh, a bit smaller than the WNBA, obviously, that um, like that women play in. I play in the GWBA um, and there's, I'm, I'm competing against people that I, I would see you overseas or we've been teammates or, you know, because, the WNBA only has room for 144 players right now. You know, there are active talks about expansion. Um, they just got more money and more benefits within the league. But where do you think everyone else goes? You know what I mean? Like yeah. every, everyone else is figuring out where to play overseas. And then if there are things within the States that they want to try and stay home for or need to do during the summer they're still looking to be active and play at a high level there are some leagues that take care of that as well so yeah that's very interesting you know i i listened to a documentary once probably about two years ago and it was about uh tarasi and i think sue bird if i'm not mistaken and their whole like going overseas playing for millions and like a pal and then coming back over here for the WNBA during the summer yeah. and they're talking about at that time uh i mean sleeping in the best western with commercial flights that were gross, but over there was all like private, yeah. everything luxurious. Luxury. Yeah. It's craziness. Um, and obviously I think that's obvious top tier athletics over there that I don't think everyone is going to be getting the, the treatment like them, but what they were doing in that documentary was highlighting the fact that for women's basketball overseas, they were much more appreciated than they were here, uh, so mm -hmm. to speak. But I do want to ask, um, this is a good point that you made, Rebecca, that the, for the women, you're playing all year round. And you mentioned some of these lower, like the lower, I shouldn't say lower leagues, but the other smaller leagues is what I meant to say, like GWBA. Can you educate us on that? What is the GWBA and where are they located? Like where, who's, how many teams are here in the States? Because a lot of people may not even know that information. Right. So, wow, this is a, I don't want to go down a rabbit hole here, but the GWBA stands for Global Women's Basketball Association. Okay. Um, that name has probably been around, I think this is year four or five with this particular association. I think they had a different name beforehand, but they've changed the rules and the criteria to be a part of it simply because in the state, when people think about women's basketball, they think of this watered down, uh, 
product or something that isn't of, of value. And like, I have these conversations all the time with, with, usually it's with men who feel like, oh yeah, I could start a women's team. Yeah, I'll get some jerseys, I'll get this and I'll get a roster. And, you know, I will talk to them about, well, what's your business plan? Like, how are you marketing? Like, who, what are your sponsors? And like, people think that they can just get up one day and make it happen. Whereas the teams that are in the GWBA, you have to have a certain amount of network to be a part of it. Um, you have to be able to pay your players a certain amount. You have to be able to travel to games. Uh, and and you there's just a certain standard you have to uphold. Like if you're traveling from Ohio to Texas, you know, how are you getting there? Where are you staying? Like to treat your team as professionals. And if you cannot uphold a certain standard, then you cannot be in this league. Um, and Because I've been a part of, I think one other league that, you know, it, the rules are just not of standard of where it should be. And a lot of players actually complain because sure, we're used to much better overseas. Right. And like, that is the biggest complaint of like, why can't we get things that we deserve as professional athletes here in the States? And it's because a lot of people do not value women's basketball in the same way and with the same respect. And I've been fortunate enough to be a part of a team, shout out St. Louis Surge, um, who will be going into their 10th year under their owner, Kalia Collier, who has done a fabulous job. She's actually like set the standard for what owners should do. Um, it's not something she takes lightly. This is an all year round job for her of, of making sure she's networking and getting the city behind their professional women's team. And then also we have sponsors. And I, I've been with the team long enough to grow. Like I remember when she couldn't afford to pay players, right? But that didn't stop her from making sure that she could present a great product on the floor and then taking care of her players in the best way that she could. You know, meals on the road, um, a little bit of extra gear or whatever she could up to that point. And then for every year afterwards, it just got better. You know, um, she's been able to su sustain things over the pandemic, which was hard. A lot of people, you know, folded. But, you know, she's done so well that uh, the St. Louis area just recently got a soccer team, professional soccer team, and they put her on board because we've seen how you rallied the, the city for your own professional team. Please show us the way and, and make sure that things are diversified and, and we market it right and we do this and we do that. Um, because she does take it very serious, you know? So, yeah. That makes me happy to hear that. It makes me happy to hear that, that there are people out there like her that are willing to put the work in and network and try to figure this thing out because, yeah, you don't want it to feel like a semi-professional team. You want to be treated as professionals that right. you are and be able to do that. So that's really cool. Um, it's really cool to hear that they have the league that is going on. There is women's basketball outside of the WNBA. I want people to like, I want yeah. to emphasize that here. There is basketball and there is high level basketball at that. I want to, I want to put that on there too. High level basketball outside of the WNBA. And um, yeah, just, you got to open your eyes just a tad, but I think part of it is like on the show, I, I just try to educate people and kind of deliver a panoramic view so people can see it, but there is it's just a high level. So that's 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 awesome for me to hear, Rebecca, as well. So I appreciate you sharing that. And I want to ask one last question before we get to your book um, and, and talk about that. The the game overseas, you growing up as, as a youngster overseas and then, you know, you know, then come through your 
teenage years here and college years here, but then playing professionally overseas as well as here in the States. For men, I've talked to a lot of guys that have played overseas and then come over here. The game is a little different overseas. Oh, yeah. the, the rules are one thing, but it's the, it's the style of game. So I'm curious from the women's perspective, what would you say is like the biggest difference if there is one playing overseas with the women and then coming back over here during the summer leagues, like you said, for the maybe the w, let's see, GWBA? You know, um, yeah, the style is different. And you can tell immediately just because I think as Americans, we have certain like mannerisms and they show up on the court. So for example, like a rookie immediately, I know they're going to get called for several travels, right? Because um, we are taught at young ages as Americans, like jab step, and then, you know, dribble from there or whatnot, you know, to fake your opponent overseas, do not jab step. As an American, you will be called for a travel immediately. Like before you move and take steps, you need to put the ball down first. You need to dribble. Um, and like it, that part the most stands out quite a bit. Um, not only that, there is this crazy bias. Um, as Americans, we are seen to be automatically up here. Um, as professionals overseas, we there's an expectation like that we are the toughest of the toughest. Um, we can take more things. So like foul calls, we're, we're not going to get as many as anyone else like they're gonna let a lot of things go and look at you to just handle it um so there there's a different style of play for sure and i've seen people uh, unable to adapt can't handle it and they're done after their first season not only that they just can't adapt to the culture around them and it's a problem so a lot of times like i try to you know speak that side of life into the young rookies going over or if you have aspirations of playing at the next level or playing overseas, just understand you being overseas, you are not at home and you need to be open to that or else your career will end before it even starts. Um, you know, if you are someone that doesn't like to get up early and you have practices in the morning overseas, but you spend so much of your night staying up because you're trying to make sure to talk to your friends back home or whatnot, um, sometimes that doesn't work out very well for you. You know what I mean? Like you need to embrace the culture you're in and be open. And I guarantee you, like things could skyrocket for you. Because one, if you seem personable, your character speaks for yourself, for itself. If the fans love you and feel like you are energetic or you're at least like nice to fans, fans will bring you back. Like you may not even be all that good. Fans will bring you back. And because ownership and organizations, these clubs, they're going to do what their fans say. Like if you've got enough fans behind you that just love you and love you on their team and in their city, oh, they will they will knock down the doors of, of the president of the club to be like, hey, we want Rebecca back. We, we love her. She's nice. She's a beautiful girl. She's nice on the court. She gets points, but she's friendly. We want her back. And you would be surprised. That's amazing. And, and if one thing that I've taken from this interview with you, Rebecca, is the fact that you've been able to adapt. And so that's why I want people to listen your whole story of your whole life. Basically. I mean, coming from overseas over here, you had to adapt to the female only game, right? You were used yeah. to playing co-ed. Then you had to adapt to the, the, the junior college level. You had to adapt to the D one level. Then you get to the professional level. You're adapting overseas. You're adapting here when you're playing in the summer adapt. And if you guys can adapt as athletes, you do learn those skills that you acquire those skill sets. If you allow the, if you implement those into your life, 
you'll have a better opportunity at that next level. To wrap it up, Rebecca, I want to talk about your book. How bad do you want it? Talk to us about your book, where we can find it. I want to know more about this and uh, where the listeners can actually find it because I myself will be getting myself a copy. So I want to know more about it. Well, thank you very much. So I've got How Bad Do You Want It right here. Um, you can get it on my website, Rebecca30Harris.com. And really, you know, I found myself answering the question, uh, any question that a young student athlete would hit me with about trying to reach the next level. And I would simply just ask them, well, how bad do you want it? Because there are several different ways to make it happen. But are you willing to put in the work? You know, sometimes it's not always the most talented kid that gets the, the opportunity. It, it's, it's the kid that is willing to do the extra, go the extra mile, put in extra work, be at practice earlier, have those conversations, those awkward conversations with, with your coach to pick their brain. Um, understanding that you need other people in order for you to make it to the next level. Networking, building relationships. So it just came about where I found myself actually in the back of a bus on a road game. Um, this was about two years ago. Uh, I was in Germany. We had a road game, long road game, seven hours. And I was checking my phone and I received a DM like I kind of do on a regular basis from, from a young lady who was asking me questions about going to junior college or, and trying to get to the next level and what she could do and how I made it. And I answered her, no problem. And then I just realized I had about six more hours left on this bus. And I started typing out all of these questions that I had been asked over time of, of trying to make it to the next level. And next thing you know, it turned into a book of me answering all of these questions. And so these are questions that uh, young student athletes with no options, uh, highly recruited athletes, parents ask me, um, coaches who are just getting into coaching at the junior college level and may not have had a whole lot of experience. Uh, all kinds of people asking certain questions about reaching the next level. I answer as many as possible in this book. And I also share some of my experiences and some of my insights uh, on the different ways to navigate the process. And uh, yeah, turned into a book, just came out. Uh, hasn't even been out fully a month, late, a month yet. And uh, I've, I've gotten a lot of feedback and I appreciate anyone that buys a copy. So there you go. Let's go. Okay. I dig that. I love the idea behind it too. Road trip. You start typing it out. You are the expert. So you're like, why not? Let's, let's start typing this stuff out. How bad do you want it at Rebecca30Harris.com? Is that correct? Yes. Rebecca30Harris.com. I'll put that in the description. I want to make sure everybody goes and checks that out. Like I said, Rebecca, I'll be buying myself a copy too. So I appreciate the insight and I appreciate you joining us and, and sharing your story here on the podcast. Thank you so much for your time today. No, thank you for having me. I truly appreciate it. This was great. We had a great conversation and I hope a lot of people have plenty to take away from it. Absolutely. I no doubt that they will. And for all those who are listening, hey, make sure you're subscribed to the show and we'll be coming to you next week with another interview. Take care. Guys, thanks so much for listening to another episode of my show. Now, if you could go and do me a favor, head over to iTunes, give me five stars and leave me a review. It would be greatly appreciated. Thanks, guys. Appreciate your support.